everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Today is episode 61 of the podcast, and I get to sit down with author, pastor, and speaker Luke Norsworthy. Luke and I get to talk about his new book, Befriending Monsters, and why befriending monsters are better than defeating your monsters. It was such a good conversation. We talk about three big monsters that I'm positive will resonate with you. We talk about comparison, more, and success. Comparison, more, and success, and how to live a monster-friendly life. Love this conversation so much. And if you enjoy the conversation, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a comment where you can and give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform it is you're listening. As always, if you're ready to become part of the Reclamation community, I want to invite you to text the word RECLAIM to 66866. Text the word RECLAIM to 66866 to sign up for helpful tips, blogs on how to reclaim the balance of faith and life. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Luke Norsworthy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to bring you today author, speaker, pastor extraordinaire, <laughs> and uh, my new friend, Luke. Luke, how are you? Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm very honored. You, that, I mean, that's a great introduction. So I don't know if I'm extraordinary, but I do some of those things for sure. Listen, I follow you on Instagram, and there are two things that make you extraordinary in my book. The first okay, one Tony. is uh, the dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm I'm here for the dad jokes, and the yeah. second thing is is you, as you have uh, four four women in your life, right? How many? Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, three so three daughters and a wife. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. It'd be weird if it was like two wives and two daughters. Um, that would be complicated. But three three yeah. daughters and one wife. Maybe not is, in Utah. Yeah, maybe not. Who's to say? I don't know. I've never done it. But yeah, <laughs> I uh, dad jokes. That's kind of how. I mean, I'm a dad, and I like to make jokes. Therefore, they are dad jokes by the very nature of those two words being mixed together. And I definitely have daughters. So it, uh, that, that's my life. You got do, it. Do you find that, um, what, now what are the ages of your daughters? 11, eight and six. And how long have you been married? I have been married for four years. No, uh, it is, uh, 15, <laughs> 16 years, 16 years, All right. 16 years. <laughs> um, I, I've got an anniversary coming up. I was about to say that's, it's going to change soon. Yeah. Oh, June 28th will be, uh, oh, congratulations. 17. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, how'd you guys meet? We were students at Abilene Christian university in West Texas. And we met in the epicenter of romance, which is known as the bowling alley. We had a bowling class together. I'm yeah. sorry. You're gonna have to tell me more about that. Yeah. We had a bowling class together and I definitely noticed her, uh, very early on in the class. It was, uh, it was the first thing I noticed in class. Because of her bowling prowess? Yes, she's just very athletic. Uh, she has a great backswing. And uh, that's what I noticed. And then we didn't talk the first week. And Friday night, there is a uh, Christian-themed coffee shop, or there was in Abilene, Texas. It was entitled His Cup. Uh, it was not about God's athletic uh, equipment. It's about, uh, like, imagine a Cracker Barrel that turned into a coffee shop. So it's basically like that. A lot of crosses and stuff like that. And, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the shipping wood stuff, like the crates on the wall, like that. Just a that's what it was. Yeah. And so I walk in there with a couple friends, and I see her and her, her roommate, Deanna, who I knew already. And so I don't, I don't talk to her yet, but I see a situation unfold. And Tony, this is what happened. She spilled her drink while her and Deanna are reading their Bible. Like Friday night in a coffee shop. I'm like, wow. Oh, man. Dude, this girl is, is like 
is trying real hard or she's just a good person. But nevertheless, she spills her cup and in his cup. And so she goes to the counter to get some help. But the problem is it's Friday night. It's busy. No one's helping her out. She's a sophomore. I'm a senior. And so I see this tableau happening where she's at the register. No one's helping her. A lot of people to line, a lot of people up front can't get any assistance. So I'm a senior. I walk up. I know the owner. And so I walk up next to her and I say, Hey, John, who's the owner? I say, Hey, John, uh, this lady right here needs a little help. Uh, can you get someone to, to clean up this mess at her table? And he goes, Luke, sure. I'll be right there. I'll take care of it. And then she looks at me and I look at her and I go, hi, I'm Luke. I'd like to take care of you for the rest of your life. No, you did not. Okay, I didn't say that line. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. <laughs> oh, that, that would have been an <laughs> I wish I would have. That would have been so great if I that did. That would have been an incredible flex. I mean, listen, I it, was, it was enough of a flex that you knew the owner. I was like, man, I know. this guy. I was like. He knows just, things. We should. Forget yeah. talking about befriending your monsters. I just want to make this a dating podcast. I, Tell me more, know, Obi-Wan. I, you know, I had an intern who was a freshman uh, in college at Abilene Christian University two years ago. And I tried to give, give him some information and wisdom. And uh, it was too much for him. It was like uh, drinking out of a fire hose. He just didn't have the ability to really process all, all the wisdom that I wanted to share with him. And so I, I become reticent to share this because you, you don't know who's ready for this, this sort of information. Because in the wrong hands, it could be very damaging but in the right hands it's life-saving um so <laughs> I, I don't even know how to i didn't know how to transition out of that <laughs> uh what, what are you going to tell what are you going to tell the guy that comes to pick up your oldest daughter for the first time you know i've uh, you know it's here's the thing it's 2020 tony you've got a daughter your daughter's uh eight is that right eight, eight yeah eight. Eight, yeah so she's three years younger than my oldest daughter and you know we don't we don't want to be like the guy who's you know has to be like overbearing and like hey that's my daughter Wait, whatever are you, are you sure we don't want to be that guy let me finish tony okay I'm, all right all i'm right. working on like you don't want to be the guy who says whatever i heard a guy say this in the gym once and i i, I really held on to it and he goes uh, you know, the guy came to my door, it was my daughter. And so, you know what I told him? And he, like, he's an old Marine. So like, he does this thing where he grabs him, like the, the uh, is it the clavicle right there? Collarbone yeah. right there? So yeah, he puts yeah. two fingers right there and he goes, grabs the guy and he goes, whatever you do to my daughter, I'm going to do to you. And I'm like, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what that means. I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> very so, uncomfortable. <laughs> so like, that's one option. Obviously, I've got some big friends who I could bring over and do that. I'm not above doing those things, but um, my father-in-law was a high school football coach. Okay. in texas and so you're know, like there is a level of swag yeah. that a high school football coach in texas has and so i'm gonna just try to do what he does he, he had like this the silent like the subtle kind of intimidation he never like got in my face or anything but like i knew he was there and i feel like that's kind of the game i want to play like i want them to know i'm there but i don't want to say whatever you do to my daughter i'm gonna do to you <laughs> especially <laughs> especially because it, it just it leads to so many questions i know i, I don't know. know if i want to know i don't want to know what you did to my daughter i just yeah. want to i just want to expect that my daughter's got good boundaries that's yeah. what i want yeah exactly i have got i've got a couple of years before i get into that but um i don't know what's your game plan tony well my 14 year old started dating mm -hmm. um i mean dating I, those are air quotes right like uh and we tried to do this really sweet move where we said, hey, because the biggest fear for me is that um, they're going to have a complete relationship that's digital and we'll never know that they existed. You know what I mean? Like, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's 2020. So like, yeah, that um, can happen. We're talking about snap streaks and all the different things that I don't know Oof. anything about. Yeah. Nope. Um, it's super scary. Um, and so 
I said, uh, we are at a football game, high school football game uh, in Ohio, where football is the best in the country, uh, especially, especially better than Texas. Uh, oh, 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 you, you do know, you do, as someone who played high school football in Texas, er, excuse me, in Ohio, uh, I played high school football there. It was the runner up for the location for the Friday Night Lights thing like it was going to be in ohio and they're like oh, let's go to texas and see what this is about so well, like, ohio I mean, hey, listen, is very good very ohio good is very good but let's not confuse skill with crazy <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, right. okay so uh okay so back to the story so um we said connor we have to meet her before you are allowed to say that she's your girlfriend okay I like and that. um he said uh okay but then i was they were at a football game and there was some definite hand holding happening and a little mm -hmm. bit, so I texted him and I said, son, um, you know that I will come over there if you don't bring her over to introduce <laughs> me. And he said, this is the only quote, dad, please, no. Like <laughs> periods after every spot, all caps, like <laughs> please don't do it, dad, because I'm, I'm a loud pastor, you know, person anyway, and I'm, I'm fearless about that sort of thing, and I live <laughs> for embarrassing moments. And so uh, he said, what if uh, we go to lunch after church on Sunday? And I was like, great he goes and her family is going to come and now all of a sudden he's completely judo flipped us that was a good move it was a solid move on his part because now my wife and i karen now we're nervous about the lunch meeting with his girlfriend's mm -hmm. parents but it I, we left the it was mexican because tortilla chips on sunday make everything better yep, and yep. uh so we left the meeting and i looked at connor and i said that was thank you so much for doing that i really appreciate that we're not doing that ever again <laughs> okay two follow-up can i ask uh, this is your podcast but i've got it's, questions it's fine we're here for okay. the party uh do they go to your church are they part no, of no no okay. they don't thank god i yeah i don't think i would want that i would think because i'm not your pastor like in that situation i'm not right. your pastor well the follow-up question is are you is your game plan going to be drastically different when it's your daughter not your sons yes ah uh, yes I, I think yeah. so i think so what um, I've also like, so Caleb is my middle child. So we have Connor, Caleb and Shiloh. And um, I fully expect Caleb and Connor to do most of the groundwork for me. So I can just be cool yeah. yep. when, when, when bro shows up here in the car. Now I am really big on get out of the car. I make my boys get out of the car. Oh, go come up here, shake somebody's hand. Like these are all things that we've already talked about with the 14 year old. Like when we pulled up the pickup, his friend for a little thing that they were going to, I said, you get your rear end out of the car and go up there and you shake some hands and knock on the door and put your hood down. <laughs> I, I don't know where it looked like a human being. Like we've taught you something yes. in life. Oh, Oh, if some kid comes up and honks in front oh. of my house, <laughs> I will end them. I will end them. I would legitimately go, you know what? This is worth going back to jail for. I, this is definitely worth it. If they honk, Oh, I think someone did that for uh, my wife and her dad's like, no, you're, you're not leaving. No, you're not opening this door and going out because someone honked. So yeah, I, uh, mm, that's not an option. P.S. I really appreciate the way you slid in back to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. I've only been there to visit people, but uh, you know, sure, you don't, I mean, we don't need those follow-up details. Yeah. All right. Mm -mm. Uh, it just makes the story a little bit more engaging. For sure. For sure. Um, so let's talk about this, this new piece, right? So, um, you've written two books and sure. I'm, I'm so lucky. I got both of them right here. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the Luke Norsworthy collection. There it is. And, uh, 
my first question was, why is it befriending your monsters and not defeating them? Because yep. the, the, the very uh, kind of the catchy title of it all was about befriending your monsters. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be friends with my monsters. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if your listeners don't know, you're obviously an Enneagram 8 uh, because that is a very strong 8 move right there. You're not going to dominate me. I'm going to dominate you. Uh, so I like that. And <laughs> here's the thing. If I could have figured a way to defeat my monsters, I would write that book. If I had mm. found a way to experience complete submission of my monsters to me, I would have written that book because that's the book I would rather have, have uh, experienced personally. But the thing is, I, I don't think anyone ever really defeats them once and for all. There is this, like this, this uh, cycle of monsters that you find just kind of uh, across continents and cultures in which you have a monster, the monster shows up, the, the town rallies together, defeats them, then they have this time of peace and then the monster comes back or it's the monster's mom or the monster's big brother. They come back and then they have this cycle that happens all over again. Now, if you want to jump to scripture, you'd say, you know, Paul stuff about... I've prayed for this thorn to be removed, this thorn in my flesh three times, but all I get from God is my grace is sufficient. And mm. I think that's the experience most of us get is you don't get this silver bullet that vanquishes your monster once and for all. And so I'd hate to title a book that promises you something I don't think anyone's ever going to have delivered. I think our friends in the 12-step community are very wise when they say, you know what, this is always going to be what I have haunting me. This addiction, whatever it's going to look like, it's always going to be there, and I need to make peace with its presence. I need to understand who I am and the way I'm wired and learn to live in light of that. And I think that's what befriending is all about. So let me ask you this. Is, um, do, do you ever get a, to a place with your monsters, it, kind of going off the 12-step stuff, where you're like best friends with them? Or is it more like I'm going to take this one day at a time, like kind of what they do in the 12-step in the process? In a lot of ways, what you're talking about reminds me of that sanctification, right? That process of mm. becoming, you know, refining and becoming more like Christ. Is that a, a daily process in the befriending your monsters? Or is that, do you ever get to a place where you're kind of cool with them? Yeah, well, I would want to say anything I know about the 12-step community is more as a, uh, someone is a respecter from the outside, not someone who's really been a part of the program. So I don't want to act like I can speak for the 12-step program, but you know, I've, I've been, I've supported and sure. you know, I've gained a lot of wisdom from my friends in it. But I, I would say that you befriend your monster because you learn to see how whatever that is, is actually for your benefit, that it can be used for your benefit. And so mm. there's a great piece that Philip Yancey wrote uh, about uh, it was actually entitled Why I Wish I Was an Alcoholic. And this is him also expressing his admiration for the 12-step community. And he, he tells of an experience or, or kind of like a testimony from someone in the program where he says, every morning I wake up and my first thought is for Jack. I want Jack Daniels. And I've learned to realize that that first impulse for me to want to drink Jack Daniels is actually a reminder for me to know how much I need to thirst for God. And, and for me, the way that plays out in my life, you know, comparison is something that, you know, I've had as a monster that I've had to learn to deal with. And I've learned to see that every time I try to stack myself up against someone else in my field that does what I do, it's a reminder that I need to look to something far more grounded and foundational than how I stack up to someone else. It's a reminder for me that says, Luke, you need to be still and quiet and listen to the voice that says you are God's beloved. And that's where your identity is found, something deeper than your comparison. And so in the same way that Jack makes this guy go, wait a minute, I need to pray. Whenever I go, oh, I want to be that person. I want to, am I better? Am I worse than them? It's a reminder that I need to get off a sliding scale of comparison and ground myself in something deeper. And that's how it's become a friend to me. 
Now, the, it's, uh, I really loved the monsters that you chose. You kind of had three monsters in the book, comparison, more, and success. Mm-hmm. Um, why those three? I, I mean, obviously, there's an unlimited number, it feels like. Maybe not unlimited. There's know. a lot, though. There's a lot, right? Why, yeah. why those three? And then the other question I have is, you were super vulnerable in, in kind of the, the writing of this book and expressing yourself. And, and you have been. I've listened to a couple of interviews you've done. Uh, on your own podcast and on others. Um, what, what did you learn about yourself in the writing of this? Well, one, it's a really dumb idea to be vulnerable. Don't do it. It costs you way too much. You feel bad afterwards. Uh, so just stop. <laughs> like, don't do it. Uh, so, I'm joking. Uh, P.S. Uh, he did tell me before recording, he's in, uh, identifies as an Enneagram 7. So it, that, yeah. na- that's a natural response, right? Yeah. So I, I have to make a joke. That's the way I live. Um, for me, writing is about self-exploration. And so for me, writing is never like, hey, you know, I, uh, here's something I'm really knowledgeable about. Here's something I know. It's always for me, like, this is me trying to figure out something about myself. And so my first book was me making sense of a, of a th- theological framework that I built kind of my life around that wasn't working. And this book is me trying to figure out some stuff that I'm not good at. And so it, vulnerability in my writing is, is kind of just the way it's functioned right now. And maybe as I get older, I'll get smarter and I'll write stuff that doesn't cost me so much and it's not as painful. And I don't get, you know, the, the text from friends like, Oh wow, that you, you put a lot out there. And I'm like, yeah, it was a long time ago. I didn't realize people were actually going to read it. Um, so yeah, what I found out about myself is that, you know, the stuff I struggle with is the stuff that's somewhat universal and the framework for those monsters of comparison, success, and more comes from a line from uh, the great Catholic thinker, Henry Nouwen, who said that the three lies that we're all tempted to believe are, I am what I do, I am what others say about me, and I am what I have. And so those became the monsters. So I am what I do is the monster of success. I am what others say about me, which is the monster of comparison, and I am what I have is the monster of more. And so as much as this is personal and me doing some introspection in my own struggles, what I found as a pastor, and I, I'm curious what you what you would experience, Tony, as as someone who's you know been in the lives of people and and heard their stories, is that these are stories that people relate to because no matter where you are and what it looks like, you know I, I've got a friend who is a uh, an OBGYN oncologist, and so she's this brilliant person, and she talks about like this idea like that we put on these these uh, this armor to protect ourselves, and she goes, you know, for me it's the white coat coat of being a doctor because when you're a doctor, no one expects you to ever make a mistake. You have to be perfect and you always have to be perfect. And so for her, success looks different than me. It does. And success will never be on that scale for me. I'm not going to be an oncologist ever. I can guarantee, and I definitely won't be an OBGYN oncologist if I do. So I'll never, but the things that we struggle with, they're not new. Like Solomon says this, like there's nothing new under the sun. So while your unique monster has the unique fur, flesh, and skin that your life puts on it, I think we're all in this thing together. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. And I think that um, as somebody who's driven and who kind of is always, you know, working for the next thing, um, these monsters definitely spoke to me. And then one of the, one of the cool things is in, in the process of writing the book, you talk about prop, pool, point, and, and light as a way to kind of break down the monster. Can yeah. you kind of help us see where you, how, you, how you got to that framework? And then one of the things that I, I love to do is get super practical. So okay. if you could help us kind of work through that on a practical level, somebody might be listening and is wrestling with a monster. 
Cool. Cool. Okay. So let me give you the, the framework for that first. And I, I get that from the book of Jonah. It's so the story of Jonah is like, you got this guy that had a, a, you know, a big fish that swallowed him. It doesn't say whale, but honestly, Tony, we know it was a whale. It was a whale. We know that. Like, that's just true. And so he has this large aquatic animal that swallows him. And it'd be easy to think the story Do of Jonah. I wonder if it was the Loch Ness Monster. Ooh, that's a great question. I'm I just, so, I'm just, just things wow. to think about. Things to think about. No, I didn't think about that. Maybe it is. Um, okay. Well, anyway, keep going. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's say it's either a, uh, a whale or the Loch Ness Monster. And so that swallows Jonah. And it's easy to think that that story is just about the whale. But the story of Jonah is not about the whale that consumed Jonah as much as it's about the hatred in his heart that had consumed him, the hatred for the Ninevites. What we see is rarely what it's actually about. What, what it's, the issue is mostly about is about what's underneath the surface. And so the prop is what gets the story going, but it's not really about that. Mm. It's actually about the, but there's a pull to it. And to, to think that your monster is benign and it's not doing something to you is it's a little bit too idealistic for me. I think everyone's monster is pulling them in a certain direction. And for, for Jonah, it was making his heart completely disaligned from God's heart. God's heart was full of love. His heart was full of hatred. So the, the monster pulled him away. And the point of the story, though, is for Jonah to realize it's not about the whale that swelled him, but the hate in his heart. And so it was there that he was given the invitation and the light came in in that point where God said, Will you realign your heart so it looks like my heart? Will you love and preach to them? And Jonah said, ultimately, no. Three times in chapter four, he says, I'd rather die than this. And so I, I think that's kind of the framework for each and every one of us with our monsters. Like there's something that we think it's about. And that thing is pulling us a certain way that's away from God's intention for us. But if we learn to befriend it, we can hear that there is a point to it. And once we do that, then the light gets in. So we can go through one of the monsters if you want to get really practical. Or did you want to take it a different direction? Yeah, no, let's get really practical. Let's go, th go through okay. one of the monsters. Which, yeah. which monster do you want to talk about? Um, let's do get more. Pick. Let's do, okay. As, uh, as an Enneagram 7, like I, more is my, my baby. Like that's, that, that's, how I, <laughs> that's, how, that's my ride or die, you know? For, okay, so the prop about the monster of more is that you always feel like you have something more than what you're experiencing right now. Whether it's, you know, levels of success, sure. Uh, whether it's experiences, whether it's actual stuff, whether it's a bigger house, bigger truck, whatever. What you think it is is really what it's actually about. And so those things are simply just a prop. It's not about those things. And if you let them have their way, they'll pull you into a, a posture where you are constantly needing more and more and more. So whatever you have in front of you is not enough. So you become like uh, hungry monger, this um, Shel Silverstein story. I don't know if you ever read it when you were a kid, but this little guy just keeps eating and eating and eating. And that's what happens to us when the monster of more, we become greedy like the grave. But mm. the point in all of this is that you are empty, that nothing is ever going to fill you up. And the point of the monster of more is to say, you feel this emptiness in your heart that you want to fill with a new truck or a greater level of success or more followers or more money. But the point is you never were intended to be full in the first place. And the like it's in, when you make that, that decision to go, I don't need things to fill me up, but I'm going to accept that I always will have this degree of groaning and hungering for more. And then you start to see things not as something to fill up this empty uh, jar that you are, but instead everything becomes a gift because you're not trying to fill it up. And once everything is seen through the lens of gratitude, we experience it completely different. So the, the, that kind of framework, that works with just about anything, right? I mean, is that a um, a, a kind of a become a coping mechanism for you in a lot of ways? The, the first move, well, one, it is the perfect solution to every problem. So get my book and you'll learn how to fix every problem. I think that's <laughs> what you're saying, Tony, and I completely agree. Yes, absolutely. Let me get real practical. A couple of weeks ago, 
I had this thing that I was really frustrated about. And I, you know, frustrated about something. And I was really mad about that. And I started to realize, okay, do the prop. This, this thing that you're so frustrated about is not really the issue. There's something underneath it. And what I was really upset about is that I'm vulnerable, that I don't have the ability to always control my own world, that I'm not as influential as I want to be, that I am mortal and I'm limited. And once I could make that point, I could make that move to accept those things, then all of a sudden I realized the issue is not them. The issue is not the thing that I'm frustrated about. It's really, it's about me. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second because I think you got the chops for it. Um, okay. how, how would you do this with the racial tension in America, specifically wow. talking to white Christians, mm-hmm. which yep. is primary my audience. I'm in a suburb of, of Dayton Cincinnati. and Cincinnati oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm kind of right in between there. And so my church is 95% white middle suburban. And I, I think a lot of people are really wrestling with knowing what to do, how to handle this. Could you walk me through the framework? Well, yeah. So this is obviously a pretty loaded one. And yeah, I'm going to, I, yeah. yeah. So, you know, take, take no, let's go, with, let, yeah. right. let, let's go with it. But uh, I just want the caveat, like we're just kind of riffing right here. So yeah. <laughs> jump in with me as we go. But sure. here's the thing. I, I too am a white Christian, white evangelical Christian. Right. And the church I'm a part of is predominantly white. And some of the things that I see is there is an inability to acknowledge certain things that have benefited us. Mm-hmm. There is a fear ultimately that we see with kind of the extreme cases that no one in your church or my church is saying, oh, I don't want to give up power. I don't sure. want black people to be uh, represented. But there is a feeling like things are different. They look different. They feel different. And there's a sense that we aren't going back to the way it was because things in the past were better for us. You don't hear black people say, let's go back to the good old days. Right. You don't, black people don't say that. White people say that because it was good for us. Like I'm a white man. I can go get in a time capsule and go back 50 years, 100 years, two, it's always good for me. It's always good for me. Mm-hmm. White people say, let's go back to the good old days. You don't hear black people saying that. And so for us, what's happening is we're losing our past. And, and one of the narratives that is very predominant right now is let's go back to the way things were. Like, mm-hmm. l- let's make it great again, which I- I'm not saying everyone who voted for Trump is a race. I'm not saying that at all. But what is underneath that is a sense that the good old days were the good days for us. Right. Yeah. The, and the so pr- the prop is that there's um, what's better life was what what was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so the pull of that is all of a sudden anything that's removing that reality from me becomes my enemy. And you're making me no longer get what I want. And so you're, you're making me hold on tighter and become militant against those who are causing me to lose control. And I think that's really what it is. It's control. Like, well, it's, like, it's like what you said earlier, right? The pool is, is that we're vulnerable, that, that yep. we're like, somebody could be out to get us. That something we don't yep. know could be out to get us. Yeah. And in that process, we um, could lose what we think we should have. Yeah, for sure. And, I think the point of this all is that the God who, who enabled and poured down goodness in your life is the God who can do it again in the future. And even if it's a future that's different than your past, and even if it's a future in which you do not have the influence and you don't have the ability to get things the way you want all the time, God is still faithful. God is still good. And there is still goodness in life and happiness and joy that happens in all of that, that you can be grateful for. And so the point of this all is to go, you need to trust not in a past that was beneficial to you, but in a God who is faithful with you. And the point of all this is that you go, wait a minute, 
I trust that God is a God of justice and peace and reconciliation. And I am called to be a minister of reconciliation. And in that there is more goodness for me than me having control and power. Hmm. Oh, that's really good. Hey, I th- and I-, I think that that, that works really well with a lot of life, you know, not just the racial yeah. stuff, but it, it, that's a good construct. My question is, is in the moment you seem like a super passionate guy in the moments of passion, right? In the moments of, of a lot of emotion, how do you calm yourself down enough to get to a place where you're like, I can think through this? Because as I hear you, as you know, as you and I are sitting here talking about it, it makes a lot of sense. It seems easy, easy air quotes. I understand. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, how do you, how do you calm down enough to get to a place? What's your discipline with that? I, I try not to sell anything that I'm not smoking myself. And typically that's not drugs, but actually all the time it's not drugs. But what I mean by that is I, I don't want to give you something that's fresh. Into, it's not the, a new idea to me that I'm yeah. preaching. And so for me, it's, I, I don't, you know, fly off a script. I, I have uh, a manuscript that I memorize every Saturday night and I'm not winging things. I'm not making stuff up as I go. So if I'm going to write something, if I'm going to say something, I'm going to share it. It's been well thought out. And so I, I really think discipline is very essential in times like this, where you take time to listen, to get experiences of others, to, to kind of give you some feedback on what you're going to say. I mean, when, when uh, Charlottesville happened a couple of years ago, I remember calling a friend of mine up who I trusted a whole lot, uh, a person of color who was, very smart person, uh, you know, well-respected part, uh, person in my church. And I said, all right, let's talk through this. Here's what I'm thinking about saying. Give me some feedback. How do you hear this? What, what do you think we should be saying? And I, I, I think when you respect the craft of being a pastor, being a speaker, being a writer, whatever it is, that means your preparation shows that. I think the best honor you can give to anyone is like you're prepared. And so for me, that's what it is. Like, I I don't want to just wing stuff and just like, I trust the spirit is in the middle of those things as well. And as much as I like to kind of just freestyle and have a free flowing conversation like this on a podcast, like I wouldn't ever be this cavalier in a sermon. What are your daily routines to stay connected to that? Um, I guess, what are your daily disciplines? What are the things that you're like, man, I I cannot live without this. And it helps me stay connected to, living, as you say, a a monster friendly life. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, it's, I mean, there's certain things that I do every day that like ways that I pray in the morning and certain like prayer times, like those are helpful for me. You know, I do a gratitude list every night. You know, that's really beneficial for me. Oh, Do you, do you write them out or do you enter them in your phone? How do you, I I like to get super micro on this stuff. I have a, people are looking for something. Yeah. 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 I have this tiny little, um, uh, notebook. Uh, that I put on my bedside table and I, I just jot down a few words to do five things I'm grateful for every night. It's just my kind of bedtime routine. It started off as um, sometimes doing an advent mm. and it's just stayed with, with me for, I guess, six months now. It's been very helpful for me. And uh, yeah, so that, that just kind of frames kind of the way I'm wrapping up my day. Uh, you know, in the morning it's some prayer time and yoga that kind of go together for me and then it's get to the office and there's kind of another, you know, devotional time, kind of a quiet time. But one of the things that's easy for me is solitude and to kind of stay in my head and kind of these sort of like contemplative things, like they're more natural to my disposition. The stuff about confessing and talking and sharing things instead of like just burying like the stuff that I'm not happy about, that's far, far more challenging for me. And so in a discipline that some people would find very intuitive, for me, it's hard. And so I think every, every person in the way that they experience and view the world uh, needs unique disciplines that contour to that perspective. 
Yeah. I uh, know. I like that. And it's, it's interesting because solitude for me is like the exact opposite. That's yep. generally, if I'm in, if I spend too much time in solitude, uh, you get a whole different crazier version of me. That's really scary. So, and I, I come out of a Wesleyan tradition. So we have band meetings where we get together and wow. confess our sins to each other. And we try to do that. I'm not doing that over the internet. So, <laughs> uh, we try to do that whenever we can get together. <laughs> so the confessing comes naturally to you, but the, the, the con- contemplation is harder for you, right? Super hard, super hard. Mm-hmm. And as I like, I'm always trying to figure out the journal thing for, I don't know. I've been in ministry probably for almost a decade and I still yeah. feel like the smartest pastors I know all have like some <laughs> sort of like, I'm like, and so right. That becomes a comparison monster, I guess. Exactly. You know? yeah. Like, I, yeah. I had uh, uh Groeschel who like many people look at, like he's America's pastor, sure. or, you know, one of them. And he has like this journal practice he does and he's, you know, I'm on the podcast and he's talking about it. And I was like, okay, maybe. And then I, like, I did it for a day. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. My friend, uh, my friend, Annie, she's like, oh, let's journal. And, I, and then, yeah, I tried it for a day. Like, yeah, I can't do it. But something very simple and very accessible, like writing five sentences or, you know, five sentence fragments, like I can do that. So yeah, I, I'm not like Captain Journal, but this works for me. Well, and, and I think to your point, right, like it's, it, it, it meets your disposition, Right. And so what you've done is you've taken a good practice and then you've used it as a way to, I mean, anything can be a tool if, yep. if we use it for the right purposes. Um, so what was it, what's it been like since the book is, is kind of now out and it's, uh, it's, it's in the hands of readers. It's, it's your, you know, it's your life. It's your story. Yep. What's it, what's it been like since all of it is, is out there and you're doing the, the, all the podcasts to talk about it. How, how has it, influenced you and and yeah. you a little bit it's uh it's very weird that uh people really are reading the words that i wrote like it's still <laughs> like it's just my second book and i'm still like oh yeah people are gonna read this okay yeah yeah cool uh so I, it, it's very humbling mm. that someone would take the time like even like you that you'd take the time to want to talk about something uh that i that i wrote i'm i'm very honored that people would would listen and read and it's uh it's very humbling to me and i mean obviously it's cool to have it connect to people and you know to get get the messages you know as a pastor i'm sure you get to people say you know your sermon or something you said or the way you led help them and that's uh i mean that's super humbling as well to go wow that's um i'm just doing my thing i didn't realize people are really paying attention like there's part of that to me so i i'm I started off writing without ever imagining getting published. And so I, like I wrote a, a novel that like two people have read and it's terrible. And uh, <laughs> those two people are dumber because of it. And so I just started like this process of writing. And I think I sent a, a draft of this book uh, to my friend, Sean Palmer, who's at uh, the Ecclesia Church down in Houston. Mm. Or he, he get a copy of it and he goes, he texts me, he goes, Luke, I think you sent me a draft of some of this in 2014. So that, like, that's how long these ideas have been percolating through my brain. And to have it like get out in the world and people connect to it is, it's, um, it's, it's very humbling to me. What, what's your process for writing? Um, uh, I mean, yeah. cause it, there's a lot of words, right? Like, I mean, it seems <laughs> it's a lot of words. not, not in a bad way. I didn't mean, man, I didn't, stop. I didn't mean it like a jerk. No, I, I, just, I hope I didn't sound like, no, a book is a lot of words. Like, yeah, it's 50, I, I mean, 50, it, it's 50,000 words. Just, and, and so, uh, you know, you and I have now talked for like 40 Yeah, we're best minutes. friends now. We're yeah. clearly best friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, you seem like a super high energy guy. Uh, sure. I, this, is, this is the only level I got. It's it. What I, so, uh, you know, I work five days a week, Sunday, like you. I mean, first day of the week, I'm not yeah. doing any writing on Sunday. Or 
I used to. That was too much though. But, uh, you know, Monday through Thursday, I write, uh, you know, 500 words every day. That's kind of my routine. I started doing that. And I don't actually count 500 words anymore. Like I just, you kind of know. I've been doing it since I was 30. And like I'm, I turned 39 this summer. So it's been, you know, nine years of doing this, you know, week in, week out. I read the book, uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which is still kind of like my, my go to book on the creative process. And his thing is the muse shows up for those who show up. Now, as, as a person who's maybe uh, more Christian than just kind of his language, I would say to some degree, I, I can't say the Holy Spirit shows up for those who show up. So let me just leave with the muse. Like the muse shows up for those who show up. So I just write every day and it, um, it's, it's, I'm grateful that I have a family and, and a work situation that you know, enables me to do that. I love that. I, I think that there is something to be said though for building the relationship. Like everything that we build is over time. Yep. And so we show up and the, then the relationship continues to build and what that looks like. So a year from now, what are we celebrating about this book? Hmm. New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, like that would be pretty nice. Uh, my personality is always like, I just need to sell enough copies so that I can get another book deal. That, like that's all. And, and for me, I feel like I already did all the hard work and the celebration was to get it out. And, hmm. you know, it's gravy when it connects to people. It's gravy to see, you know, whatever the book does, which, at, you know, at this point, I, I can't really control. Like, I've, I've already, it, I've already hit it as hard as I can. Like, as a golfer, you know, baseball player, which, like, I've, I've, I've got as much contact on the ball as I'm going to get. I squared it up, and wherever it goes, it's going to go. Like, I can't do anything at this point. What I know is, like, I worked as hard as I could on the book, and you know, whatever happens a year from now, that's that's just gravy for me. It's just an honor to get to do it, and I hope I sell enough copies so that I get another, another book deal. Well, I, I'm predicting that a year from now, uh, you'll see a lot of people who have been really transformed by this work. work. I think it's, I think identity stuff has become such an important issue, and and a lot of our monsters come from identity issues. So I I, I really appreciate it. Uh, now the other thing that's in the foreword is, and that I've heard you talk about, is this love for sharks. I knew that's where I was going. Yeah, well, I, I mean, like, I, it's it's the first line of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, describe my water bottle that I'm it's, holding up right now. Uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a silver water bottle with a shark sticker on it. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually reminds me a little bit of the San Jose Sharks, but um, the hockey team. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. If that helps any, if, you know, <laughs> for the four people who who like watch shark, hockey. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> do you think there's more people who like sharks or like hockey? Oh, sharks, hundred <laughs> percent. Look, dude, I've uh, never, I've never sat down and watched Hockey Week. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, I, I've loved sharks since I was a kid. I think I was not even five years old when my parents had this shark book that they would read to me every night. By the time I was five, I liked sharks so much that I asked my mom to make me a shark birthday cake, and I've been hooked ever since then. It's something that just, it, it is what I, I, I just love sharks. And there's like, I love being in the water. There's this, there's something about the water in which you're out of control. And then when you're in the water and you see a shark, you really realize how out of control you are. Cause you know, obviously they're the apex predator of the ocean. If you're going to say killer whale is bigger than a great white shark. Yes, technically you're right, but who cares? They're, they're orcas. Well, let's see. We'll take care of all the killer whales. That's real dark. That's real dark. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that orcas. No, it's good. It's fine. It's fine. I don't think we have any uh, listeners who are orcas. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. So I, I've loved sharks since I was a kid and uh, uh, favorite shark. Do you have one? 
I'm sure uh, you do. Obviously, it's the the white shark. I mean, those are yeah pretty impressive. Obviously, the shark that I would most you never want to swim with a bull shark, but uh, like to be in the water with a tiger shark would be pretty cool. Obviously, to, to swim with a white shark would be the the apex. So, I mean, that would be pretty amazing. And, and you, I, you got to do some swimming with sharks, right? I I did. I have. So I have a podcast and there was some people who I became friends with because they listened to podcasts who are out in Oahu. And I have loved the work of this couple named Juan and Ocean, Ocean Ramsey, who famously was like on Good Morning America after she mm. swam with this 20 foot white shark in Oahu. And so I've like loved their work. Juan is this amazing photographer. They're both both like North Shore people. And uh, so this couple who listens to the my way podcast, you said North Shore people is like, I, I want to be one. I don't know even know I what know. that means. I don't even know what that means, but I want to be a, I want to be a North Shore person. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying one grew up on the North Shore. So here's the story yeah, yeah, that yeah. this couple listens. It's uh, the Katie's. So they listen to the podcast. They say, hey, come out to our church. I said, I'd love to. Because if you, if you lead a church in any sort of island location that's tropical, I feel called to serve that church. So uh, I'm I here. Too. I do too. Yeah. We can yeah, go together. So, Package yeah. deal. Yeah, for sure. We will. It will be great. The two of us. I'll carry Luke's bags. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, so I I said, yeah, I love. And they said, well, if you want, my daughter works for One Ocean Research. And I said, like one, as in like the organization that won an ocean. Go, yeah, she's interns for them. And so, long story short, I get to go out. I do a couple shark dives with their organization, and uh, Juan and Ocean. This couple I followed on Instagram for a long time. They got married recently and then they came back and they had like their wedding reception on the North Shore in a while while I was there and I got invited to the party, which was absolutely amazing. And it was like the coolest house I've ever been to on the North Shore. There's this amazing surf break that's right next to it. They have like shark everything for their party. It was just, yeah, I mean, for the two listeners who continue to stay on the podcast after the shark conversation, they'll know like this is like, this is like the Super Bowl for shark lovers. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, where can people follow you on the interwebs to learn more about sharks and uh, <laughs> and your third book? Whatever. It, yeah. what, do, do you know what the third book's going to be, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. I've got 50,000 words of a rough draft already done. Are you going to tell us? Can you leak no, it? I'm not gonna, no, I'm not going to leak it to you. Dude, like 10 people listen to this podcast. It's fine. Well, those 10 people need to make sure they buy this book so that I can get the next one out. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, about, it's built around this, uh, one of my favorite quotes, which I think is in this book. It's uh, by Joan Chittister, and it says, in this moment is the essence of everything glorious I've been given in life and it's enough. Mm. And so it's a book about what does it mean to live from this position of enough and this posture of enough. So that's, that's your teaser for the book. Um, anyway, we'll see whatever happens. Uh, okay. So interwebs, where can people follow yeah, you? Where do, follow where do they? Me. Yeah. One of the things I like to say is only follow me online. Don't follow me in real life. I, I don't want someone sitting outside my house and stealing my 14 year old <laughs> pickup truck. I don't want that. So just stay online. Yeah, I'm online. Um, Instagram at Luke Norris. And then I think my website is LukeNorsley.com. I should know that. Um, but yeah, there. And, and he got a podcast too. Tell us about the podcast. It is a podcast. It is called Newsworthy with Norsworthy. That's deep, profound. That, that was from my high school football coach in Ohio. As we talked about before, I too spent some time in Ohio. And my high school football coach, Coach Duvall, big shout out, Coach Duvall, told me one day, he said, Norsworthy, you keep working the legs, son. And Norsworthy, you'll be newsworthy. And so that's what it was. I never became newsworthy. I didn't work the legs enough. I wasn't good enough as a football player to be newsworthy. But it turned into a podcast title. So there you go. And it's a great podcast. I love it. I love it. Um, Okay. So I always like to ask people with my very last question is if uh, it's an advice question. So I want to- Dating advice? No. mm -mm. No, that's too much. 
Okay. That's too much. All right. uh, I got real, I got intense up front. I'm sorry if I scared off your listeners. But. No, it's fine. I, I thought it was hysterical. I'm probably going to listen to this episode 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Advice. Okay. Advice. Uh, advice. Yes. If you could go back, um, mm-hmm. go back to your very first church job and give yourself one piece of advice. You're going to go back and you're going to talk to young, um, super excited about life, Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, I mean, we didn't even get to talk about you following Mark Batterson or any of the things that you Matt got. Chandler, Matt Chandler, Matt Chandler. Dang, yeah. Wrong guy. Same guy. It's basically, they sound the same. Uh, my first job before I followed Matt Chandler was at a little rural church in Moran, Texas, which is, I heard you talk about it on your podcast. Yeah. Town of 200 people. It was a great experience, life changing for me and forever grateful for those people. So, so much love to Moran, Texas. The, but here's the, the advice I'd probably give to myself is don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. And I, I took myself pretty seriously. I kind of fast tracked some stuff. And so I was preaching every week, at, you know, as an 18 year old. And I wish I would have just, uh, just chill out, be a kid, man. Don't, don't stress about everything. And uh, you don't have to be Matt Chandler. You don't have to be more than anyone else. Just be yourself. So that's what I would tell myself. That's awesome. Uh, Luke, no. thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for what you're putting out into the world and for your vulnerability and, and all of that. Um, I, I really look forward to, um, to picking up the third, the third book. Come on, and man. I'm, I'm, in, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. You hey, got a friend. From your lips to God's ears, let's make that happen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks, Tony. I told you guys what a great conversation. Uh, I don't know about you, but that... That monster of comparison, man, that gets me all the time. And I love the way Luke kind of dives into this and so personal and so vulnerable and shares so much of who he is. Uh, Please do me a favor, pick up his book anywhere books are sold. Follow him on all the socials. It is really, he is really a fun follow. And again, if, uh, if you enjoyed the episode, the best compliment that you can give us is to share it with a friend, family member, maybe somebody who you're doing life with that just needs a little nudge. We all need nudges sometimes. Uh, one of the ways you can get a nudge, text the word reclaim to 66866. We send out an uh, email every week full of updates on what's happened on the podcast, blogs, helpful tips, any of my writing, that kind of jazz. Again, we're so thankful for you and we look forward to connecting with you real soon.